We all want to feel like we belong, but sometimes it's challenging to find connection in our living spaces, neighborhoods, communities, and relationships. On Home Where You Belong, we're here to change that. Hear stories of people from different backgrounds and from different places and how they've been able to feel more at home to help give you a renewed sense of connection, belonging, and optimism. Welcome to Home Where You Belong with your host, Chip Alford. According to the U.S. Department of Labor, the average American spends roughly 20 years in retirement. While a growing number of people are concerned about their financial readiness, most continue to look forward to this milestone, eager for less responsibilities and more time to do what they want. While research shows retirees are happy, author Barbara Pagano believes they could be happier. This seasoned executive coach, speaker, and author says too many retirees lose confidence in their value and talents and end up lowering their expectations for fulfilling life. Some accept boredom as simply part of the package, but it doesn't have to be that way. Retirees could and should want more. In her award-winning book, The 60-Something Crisis, How to Live an Extraordinary Life in Retirement, Pagano shows how to make the golden years a place where we live our potential and possibilities. Barbara, welcome to Home Where You Belong. I'm thrilled to have you as a guest today. And I am thrilled to be here. Thank you. I loved your book and look forward to getting into more details about that. But before we get started, could you just tell us a little bit more about yourself and kind of a little bit of your journey? Sure. My basic talents have been spent in the classroom. So I am a former teacher, a former counselor for a middle school, who all of a sudden was placed in front of a a group of adults. So (laughs) that that was a transition. We could talk about transitions. But those adults worked in businesses and they went back to their businesses and said, you need to get this woman in. So the transition from, you know, a middle school classroom and hey, if you can handle eighth graders, you can handle corporate executives. So the transition was one that was just a change of classrooms. And most of the bulk of the career was spent in uh, leadership development at the senior level in organizations. So I became their coach. And I also was fortunate enough with the first book, which was about leadership, to be on the stage in the leadership development uh, conferences. And so it was a it's a very exciting time. I wrote that book with my daughter, who is a you know an English major who worked for the Nashville Banner on the business beat. So uh, we were actually co uh, presenters for about five years. So working with an adult child, she's my only daughter, was really really great. Developed a business around sabbaticals for organizations. And that was very successful, but did not produce enough revenue for two people. So my daughter said, I need to go make some real money. (laughs) (laughs) And I just about that time turned 65. So I have an only child, two grandkids, a second marriage that's uh, going on 43 years. And I am in the midst of that last third of life. That's awesome. Well, speaking of that, last third of life, a lot of that is probably the retirement years, right? And for a lot of people, retirement can be kind of a major disruptor. 
Why do you think that so many people find that a frustrating or difficult transition? Well, first of all, it surprised me. It? I have advanced degrees in human development. So finding myself at 65 asking what's next was an amazing experience because I didn't have the answer. <laughs> now, a lot of other people had the answer for me. Yes. And I just thought, wow, I'm 65. What's next? Which turns out to be not a really good question to ask. So that experience of looking at me and the choices that I had and just kind of not getting depressed, but getting stuck just kind of stuck with a cup of coffee looking out over a beautiful <laughs> body of water and not really having answers. So that began a journey to me. And I became a student again and basically said to myself, what do I need to know right now that's going to help me make decisions for the last third of my life? And so that became a journey to understand longevity. And it also became a, a journey to understand how we're perceived as we age in the communities that we live in. And then my own personal journey of, do I have any ambition left? Are there things I want to do? And so I became a student and the book I wrote is the book I should have had. If Absolutely. somebody had given me that book, I would not have spent two years sitting on the couch. It seems like most of the things that I've read about retirement are all about financial planning, which is important, very critical, but that's just one element, right, of preparing for that kind of phase of life. It is. And, and you asked me the question about why is retirement such a difficult transition? And I do want to emphasize with your audience that, that it, we've been through many transitions in our lives professional transitions. Maybe some of us got divorced and remarried. That's a transition. Going from a teenager to an adult is a transition. So we've been through transitions. Sure. But when you look at retirement, there are three things happening all at the same time. You're 65. That's when the magic number is <laughs> around. Well, like it or not, that's, yeah. you know, uh, when are you going to retire is the question you're going to get when you're 65. So you have three things going on. Number one, the end of your life is closer than ever before. So this is your last chance, really. Your okay. last third of life. This is your last chance to get done what you want to get done, to live the life that you want to live, to be the person that you want to be. So last chance is there. Okay. And then you, then you understand two things that are happening that are just kind of, whoa. And that is our generation, the boomers have an extra 30 years of life. It is a gift that we've been given. I don't need to tell your audience that the world is getting older. But you are getting older and you have a chance to live an extra 30 years. And when I discovered that, it wasn't as if I was 65 and going to go out at 75. It mm -hmm. was as if I'm going to be 65 and, hey, I could go out at 98, 99, 100. And then you start really reading about the 100-year life. And all of a sudden, I owned that 30 years. And I said, okay. okay, that's my life. 
rather than just letting it happen to you, being more intentional? Oh, Chip, when I went to a website and put in all my data about my family history and my current health and my longevity came up, you know, I had been reading the statistics that a woman is going to die at 78, and, you know, right. those, those statistics are, are, that's for the world. That's for all okay. kinds of people. But when I put in my statistics and the possibility of my life came to be 986 Wow. I was like, okay, 30 years, last chance. And then you have this other thing going on is that we are fortunate enough to feel young, even though we're getting older. So this is not our parents' lifetime. We are pioneers in a very new situation. And retirement is difficult because we're new to this. We don't know how to live a long life really well. And this is a pivot. This is a big turning point for us as we turn into the last third of life. So major disruptor for us. It sounds like as you did this work and research and, and learned, you basically kind of created a new model for your golden years. How would you describe it, the way that you're approaching this third phase of life? What I tried very hard to do was to look at the big picture and then take it down, not into a map, because there is no map. There's never been a map, okay? But I I needed to understand four things. I needed to understand a sense of place, and I'm able to choose that, as many people are able to choose that as we get older and our responsibilities for where we live kind of broaden. I needed to understand work and where it fit in my life. And I needed to understand the freedom that I would have now. And I needed to understand what the chapter or the portal that I call kinship. And I call those portals because they are places that you just jump into and you explore And then you come out with maybe a new idea or a different way of looking at at something. And that is not going to turn out to be a map. That's going to turn out to be a horizon. Okay. The geography of place, who do I want in my life? How am I going to make that happen? How am I going to make better relationships, new relationships? What is my work? Is it grandparenting? Is it podcasting? Is it writing a book? Work is an integral part of well-being. The very first episode was how to love where you live because, you know, the geography of place where we live does have a big impact on us. How do you see where we live impacting our sense of belonging? The most surprising portal for me and the research that was done about it was geography of place. Okay. That the place where you live And I I gathered some information so that your audience could better understand this. I I am not the guru in geography of place. Richard Florida wrote the book, Hoosier City, and basically said, when you choose a place to live, you're looking at what's there, who's there, and what's going on. So your home is really more than what you're thinking about the front door and the the bedroom and the and the kitchen. Daniel Gilbert wrote Stumbling on Happiness. 
And he said, the most important three decisions that you will ever make is where you're going to live, what are you going to do, and who you're going to be in your life. Then if you go into the research of well-being and you have a triangle, you have work, you have relationships, and at the top of that triangle is place. I pulled these stats for you. Two-thirds of the retirees were going to move sometime during the, the last third of life. Okay. One third of us are going to stay in the homes that we are in. So let's look at the one third that stays. 54% of them have a deep connection to home. They're not leaving. They have found the place that nurtures them, that they need to be, maybe that they have a history. But then two thirds of us, are going to downsize, we're going to move, maybe be closer to the kids, maybe live in a different country. So we're going to change that geography of place. For most of it is not going to be a stable forever situation. Our geography of places is going to change. You've mentioned work several times in, in the answers you've shared so far. You know, a lot of people think, oh, well, when I retire, I, I won't have to work anymore. That part of my life will be over. I'm guessing you think that's not a great approach or way to look at it. And if that's correct, why is that? I, I tried in the chapter around work to say, let's redefine work. Okay. Many, many people are in jobs that they hate or work that they dislike, or they're tired. They love the work, but they're just tired. Wow. So work kind of has a bad connotation to it. And even in the interviews that I do with retirees, much what you're pointing out is that I'll say, well, what's going to be your work? And they go, whoa, 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 Barbara. I, I don't <laughs> want to work. Okay. We're getting away from that. <laughs> yeah. That's not what I want to do. I don't want to work. But if you look at work in a broader context of why you get up in the morning, where you're going to spend your time and talents, then let's look at work in terms of gardening, being a grandparent, starting a podcast, maybe starting a new business, maybe going back to school. We have worked all of our lives. Yes. So it's 65 to say, well, I'm just going to take that work piece and not do that. <laughs> Done. <anymore."> yep. <laughs> then your then your well-being is kind of getting shot. And you know, when you talk about geography of place and home, many of us have chosen home based on work. Absolutely. And so now that we have this other big opportunity to change our geography of place, uh, a lot of that may be around the work now that we have identified ourselves to do. It all has to do with skills, talents. Where are you going to put your energy? Are you going to choose to be in front of the TV? A lot of people choose that. Or are you going to choose to follow a curiosity? I think you are a good example of following a curiosity. Many people I know decide that they want to take lessons in art. They want to learn a new language. That becomes your work. Okay. You get to choose it. I mean, we, hopefully there was some choice involved in our earlier work too, but, but now you can really take the time to find out what is it that you want to spend your time on and how you want to use the talents and interests that you have. 
That's very true. But you also have to face the reality of if you're going to live another 30 years, maybe that work is going to need to produce some income. Yes. So, I'm, I'm at that um, place right now. So I'm, I was fortunate to work for a good company and, and have some benefits and income from that. And I did some retirement planning, but I'm realizing kind of what you're saying. I retired a, a little early and so I could live a lot longer and I'm not sure that those funds are going to be sufficient. So I'm already thinking, what else do I need to do to supplement that? Could the podcast be that? Do I need to do other things? And so that's become more my focus. That's true for many of us. When we looked at retirement uh, years ago with a financial advisor, they were looking at 90. Okay. Yeah. Those financial advisors are now looking at 100. Oh my goodness. Okay. So for those of us kind of caught in that situation, producing an income, no matter how, maybe you don't get paid what you were paid when you were 40 and 50. Okay. Sure. That, 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 the amount of income doesn't matter as much as what your financial advisor will tell you any amount that you can bring in that you don't have to take out. So income is a very realistic, and I think there can be a stigma sometimes about people over 65 who still want to make money. Mm -hmm. Nothing <laughs> and, wrong with that, right? Yeah. right? But the number one worry about retirees is running out of money. Yes. So yeah. work and maybe finding work that maybe we don't love, but maybe we like well enough that we can work at for five years or six years, a little bit longer than what we thought and still have that in our lives. I think that work also has to, to be looked at in a realistic kind of way. Absolutely. Another thing I found interesting in your book is, I know you've done a lot of work with leaders of companies, executive coaching. So I'm sure you're well familiar with missions and visions and critical success factors and all those kinds of things, which have their place and are important. But you really said instead of finding your purpose or mission, or maybe better advice is cultivating your passion. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that and the difference? Well, I think that we have an opportunity to ask ourselves at this juncture of the last third of life, some very important questions. I, I remember going into the bookstores and saying, when I was a st the student of, of learning what I needed to learn, I would go into the bookstore and I said, where's this section on aging and, and living a wonderful life? And they would say, <laughs> wow, we don't have a section on that. We probably really should, but let me take you over to the self-help section. Well, I'd read all those self-help books <laughs> about purpose and passion yeah, and yeah. that sort of thing. I think finding your passion is a, a lot broader than what we, we really need to focus on. But I, I think each of us has a curiosity or a wondering of, gee, I wonder if I could do that. Or, gee, I wonder if I could get better at that. And that becomes whatever that interest is or that curiosity could become a, a passion for you. And I think that, you know, I think that passion just really is a very strong want, a very strong desire. And one of the things that is important for people as they approach retirement age and the last third of life is 
let's get back to desire. What is it that you want? Right. And focusing on desire. And that desire could turn into uh, a passion. You know, I don't think passion is necessary, but I think it's a road that needs exploration. Right. Your curiosity can change over time, right? I think your curiosity does change over time. Let's face the fact about growing older. Mm -hmm. There are some things that you are simply not going to be able to do Yep. Um, as you age. So one of the things that makes retirement uh, such a disruptor is that all of the things that we read about, we lose people in our lives, we're not sometimes able to do things as well as we did before. And so that major disruptor can affect sometimes our feelings about our ambition or our confidence to do that. Uh, let me give you an example. About three years ago, after the book came out, I, I said, okay, what's important for me to do now? Now, that's a better question than I think than what's next. What's important yeah. for me to do now? What What's left for me to do? And one of the things that I have loved from my childhood is tap dancing. So I find, you know, an adult tap dancing group. And there are six women in that group. And they are in their late 40s and early 50s. I am 78. Okay. okay. Am I at the, at the class? No. But I'm not at the bottom of the class. And you're in I, it. I can hang in there. But here's a couple of things that make it different for me. Love it. I mean, is it a passion? I don't know about that, but I truly love once a week. Enjoy it, yeah. Go tap dancing class. Now, I'm the only one that tapes the steps that we've learned. Because when I get home, I'm not going to remember those steps. So I need that videotape so that I can practice during the week and see what's going on. If there's a step that involves a quick turn, my balance is not as good as their balance. So I think that when we look at what we can do in the future, we need to have ambition, but we also need to say, hey, I might not be as good as I once was at this, but if I still enjoy it, I think there are ways that we can make it happen. In my work, I discover that there are a lot of people still dreaming about things that they want to do, but they're not doing them. Absolutely. And so there is what I call a failure to launch, okay? <laughs> It's we're a good way to describe it, yeah. You know, we're headed down the runway. The plane is going to take off, really should take off, but we just can't get those wheels off the ground. Now, the research says that our confidence level can go down. In my work, I find that for the majority of society, not very much is expected of you. Go play golf or volunteer for a day. That's that's what we that's all we need from you. That's true. Mm -hmm. And so you, the children don't expect very much from you. The workforce certainly doesn't expect. They're trying to get you out. So yep. the expectations of who you are and what you can be and what you can do are lowered from all the messages that we get, and. I think that internally, then we have work to do. 
Okay. And that is, okay, I may not be able to do this as good as I used to be able to do it, but I can still do it. And I still want to do it. Well, one of the things that I think is missing uh, from the lives of many people who are going through this transition or in this transition is a very strong motivator. Yes. And I will tell you that one of my motivators I already talked about was the fact that I have 30 years. And hey, that may be true, maybe maybe not be true. Who knows? Okay. But plan, plan on it or think right. about it. Right. But, yeah. but I'm planning on it. So I make all those decisions based on the fact that, you know, I'm going to live a very long life and a healthy one. But my other main mo- motivator, uh, as I looked at all the information that I needed to know, was looking at the big regret. Oh, okay. And the big regret is the one that you have when you're in hospice and the angels are gathering in the corners <sighs> and it's time for you to go. And you are looking back now on your life. And the big regret in terms of the research has not changed since 1967. <laughs> okay. And Daniel Pink just did a book on it two years ago. It was the Big Regret World Survey. And what is the biggest regret at the end of life? And it sounds something like, I wish I would have lived my life more for me and not other people. I wish I would have taken more risks. I wish I would have done more the way I wanted to do it. I wish I had taken charge of my life and made better decisions about what I wanted to do. And so my motivator is to get up every morning knowing that the end is somewhere up the road, that I will do everything that I can so that I can turn to myself and say, well done, Barbara, good job. And so I'm very motivated by that. I'm looking above the door in the house where I'm living. I have this little plaque with the quote that says, live the life you've imagined, just as a reminder to me to to hopefully do what you're saying. I haven't arrived yet, but I think just being more intentional about that is is definitely important. I want to talk just a second about how retirement might look a little bit different for different people. I thought it was interesting the way you described the way you're approaching retirement versus your husband. Tell us a little bit about that and how that's worked out. I think that the traditional retirement model, which is to stop work at a certain age and then choose a more leisurely life and be happy with what you've got, is a model that works well for some people. And so when I look at my husband who started talking about retirement when he was in in his mid fifties, and I said, why are you talking about this? Well, he was a pilot with Delta airlines. And he said, Barbara, I have to retire at 60. I have a requirement. Yeah. Okay. Now, interestingly enough, that has changed. It's now 65, Uh, even though pilots fought for years to try to get it to 65, but it's now 65 and they're looking to move it to 70. It's a changing demographic, yeah. So he puts down his last airplane at 60 years old, and he has a wonderful way of simply compartmentalizing and saying, 
That was wonderful. It was the best career ever. And I don't need to do that anymore. And then he begins to look at what he wants to do in life. Now, what he does in life is enjoy a gorgeous view mm. and look at what his golf game is going to be in on Monday. And as far as traveling goes, he traveled for, for 30 to 34 years. He packed that bag for 34 years. <laughs> yeah. He's not going to pack that bag anymore. Doesn't mean as much to him. Yeah. That's, it doesn't mean sense. as much to him. So, and, and you know, it's very, you know, what do we value? And what he values is his time to do what he wants to do. And even though you can talk to him about all of his talents and what he could be doing, his choice is he wants to read as much as he can about George Washington. He wants to play <laughs> golf and he wants to smoke cigars at the smartest cigar club. So those are his choices. Um, traveling is not on the top of his list. And so I think that what you're getting to is that we are all choosing very, very differently. But yes. the majority of us, are, are looking at retirement in a little bit different way. And I don't know, it's because we, we have a boomer attitude and we've always tried to improve what we uh, got or expect more. But I, I think that there's a move on now to embrace a 30 years and, and have a different kind of life. But he's a very happy camper. How does your retirement differ from his? My retirement is work. I want to work. Also at the top of my list is I had uh, grandchildren very late in life. I have grandchildren who are 10 and 11 years old. Oh. And one of the things that's important to me is to be a part of their lives. By that, I mean, I want to pick them up from school. I want to sit with them on their homework. And that for me, as well as work, as well as travel and living in different places. So do you get this picture of one person in a marriage wanting to do different kinds of things than another person? Okay. So we have a married but living apart. Um, that's our partnership. We've been okay. married over 40 years. I've interviewed 10 couples who are making the choice married but living apart now, the gray divorce, divorce over 65, is going through the roof. That's mm. just out of sight. So people change. People yeah. get to a different place. On the Mary but living apart, it's not just a woman's idea. Men come to the wife and say, I want to live in the Pacific Northwest. I don't want to live on the farm in Alabama anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's becoming kind of a trend. And for most of us in that situation, we love one another. We, we still want the marriage. We will do what we need to do to get that marriage to thrive. But we just have different interests. And so we will live apart. That's part of the year, right? Sometimes don't you still live together for part of it? No, I would say we visit. We visit. Okay. Okay. We spent Christmas. We spent 15 days to get together okay. over Christmas. We will be going to San Miguel for, I'll be there longer, but Herb will come for about 10 or 15 days. He's good for 10 or 15 days. So you do like to travel. Tell us about two or three of the places that you've lived. And when you're doing that, when you're going to different, living here for maybe three months or six months, is it hard to kind of establish that feeling of I'm home while you're there? Or is that part of the excitement for you? 
I've lived in maybe seven different places. Now, my travel is I want to go one place and stay at least three months. I want to go to one city, one place. And that started to be Nicaragua. Let me go to Nicaragua and live for three months. Let me go to Buenos Aires and live. I love Central and South America. Those were the places that I would choose January, February, and March. Now, I'm awfully glad I went to some of those places and did that because politically, a lot of them are, whether it's Quito or, you know, whatever, there's a lot of unrest going on. So that, and then that turned into a year I wanted to live in San Miguel. And then I actually went another year. And when I say lived in San Miguel, I'm back and forth. I'm back to the grandkids. I'm in San Miguel. I'm back to my husband. They're visiting. So it's not as if I just go away and that's the end of that. But I like those different cultures. I like immersing myself. And fortunately, when I chose work, I knew that my work had to be something that I could take with me wherever I went. That's good. That's a good way to look at it. And you know, when I say to Herb, do you want to go here? He'll look at me and he'll say, you know, I've already been there. <laughs> he's he's flown over a lot of places. Yeah, probably, I mean, right? yeah. I've already been there. Okay. You've traveled the world, but in different ways. Yeah. You you impressed me a little bit as an adventurer. You just talked about that some of the different places you've been to. But in your book, you also mentioned that you did a six-month sailing trip with your daughter. You became a later-in-life cyclist. You've done some white water rafting. Tell me a little bit about your hobbies and how important is that to your sense of happiness or well-being in retirement? Well, I think that the one place that will be important to your audience in in terms of what we're talking about, and that is living an extraordinary life, choosing a place that we want to be. There was an opportunity at one point, my husband and I had been, had a boat in the BBI. We were cruisers. That means we were anchored every day at 3.30. Okay. That's a British Virgin Islands. Yeah, British Virgin Islands. Yeah. Okay. And so we were cruising. We really weren't sailors. So when there was an opportunity to have a boat that was coming out of refit, and I just looked at that and said to myself, I just wonder how far I could get in that boat. And I knew I couldn't do it by myself. So I just said to my daughter, you know, would you like to get in that boat and see how far we could go? Now you're talking to two people that don't have a lot of skills in sailing. Okay. You didn't grow up with sailing, right? Didn't grow up with sailing. My daughter went to sailing school in Orlando for a week, Okay, Um, but the desire was Was so high. And, you know, people would say, well, you can't go. You don't have the skills. It's dangerous. You don't know what you're doing. Well, they were right on all of those. (laughs) But When I looked at that, I knew that I would, at some point in life, look back at that moment in time, regret that I did not try. Everything was there for me to be able to try. And so the living with a regret of, I wish I had tried, was way too much for me. That was a motivator. Yeah, that was the motivator. So was it hard? Yes. Was it scary? Yes. Did we do it? Yeah. How were long we were you sailors? how long were you guys away and where did you go? We left uh, the port of Pensacola in November and we sailed for six months over two thousand wow. miles. 
And it was number one, it was a great adventure being with an adult daughter. Yes. Number two, we did not declare a captain in the boat because neither one of us knew any more than the other one knew about sailing that boat. So everything had to be sort of worked out together. And that was a wonderful experience for the most part. I think there was a couple of of screaming incidences over high winds, but somebody always took charge. And so it was hard to get off the boat. I will say that. What, what do you think that experience did for you? What impact did that have on you? Okay. First of all, I, I was a decision maker that would just weigh and weigh and figure, you know, would this work? Will that work? Is this the best thing? What I learned was how to make a decision with the information I had at the moment and whether it was leave the anchorage or whether it was adjust the uh, sales or whether it was, you know, change your route I make decisions so much better based on the information I have, not on the, well, what if this? Well, what if that? Well, what if happens, then I'll turn around and go back Yeah, or I'll change things up. So decision-making improved. The second thing improved is I learned how to ask for help. Wow. That's good. That's good. Got to do that, right? Yeah, as I was thinking, one of the things I'd like to get better at is learning. I mean, that sounds kind of a crazy thing to say, I guess, particularly I worked in learning (laughs) development for a while, too, in my career. But I I remember as a kid, you know, I was like, I didn't want to learn how to ride a bike because I didn't know how, Uh which makes makes no sense, right? But it's kind of that fear of trying something new. Oh, I don't know how to do that. Well, yeah, that's that's why you learn how to do that. And you don't have to stop learning, right, in our in our golden years. We can maybe focus more what we want to focus that learning on, I guess. And you also don't have to listen to people who say you can't do that. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so to those people. And people we, will, right? Oh, my goodness. So we, we had a goodbye party and people gave us angels. They said, you don't know what you, you know, you can't do this. It's dangerous. But. When they would say, you don't know what you're doing, we had to say, you are right, but we are smart. We're learning. And we will figure out the best thing that we can do at that particular time. And if it means we turn around and come back, then we turn around and come back. But we will make decisions based on what we know. That's awesome. I've really enjoyed chatting with you, Barb, but every person that I talk to, I kind of wrap up the interview with the same question and and it's pretty simple, but what is it that makes you feel most at home? Two things. And I, I actually learned it not very long ago, maybe five or six years ago, I was living in San Miguel and had rented a, a place that had natural life, that was important to me, had a great location, it was safe. And it was decorated with the grandmother's little small watercolor flowers. And I said to myself, I can live with this. Well, it turns out I couldn't live with it. So I had to take down all those watercolors and go out and buy art that I love so what I learned from all that, Chip, was I like my stuff. Sure. <laughs> so, you know, home for me is having my stuff around me. And then the second most important thing, and the reason that Nashville is the geography of place for me right now, is 
I need those grandchildren and my daughter in my life right now. Now, will this be a geography of place for me 10 years from now? No, we should talk again. It will okay. be probably a different, a different place. Yeah. But people and stuff. What can I say besides stuff? I mean, it's just, it's comforting to me to have my stuff. No, that makes, I think that makes total sense. I mean, you want to make a place your own as much as you can. And that could be art. It could be photos. It could be a lot of different things. Well, so much of your book, really the whole thing made a lot of sense to me. Barbara's book, The 60-Something Crisis, How to Live an Extraordinary Life in Retirement is available for purchase on Amazon. I'm including the link in the show notes and on our podcast website, homewhereyoubelong.com. You can also learn more about Barbara by visiting her website at the60somethingcrisis.com. I'm including a link to that as well. Barbara, thanks again so much for joining us. What I'm great proud insights. Of you. Well, thank you. Why are you proud of me? Because you're following a path, Chip, and it's not easy. Okay. Yeah. You're following a path. Will it lead to where you want it to lead? You don't, it's like getting in a boat and, and leaving the anchorage. You have no idea. Okay. But, but get on might. the road, get on the yeah. road, right? Yeah. <laughs> We want to help you continue experiencing that feeling of being at home wherever you are. So please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and visit our website at homewhereyoubelong.com. Want to join in on discussions, ask questions, or share feedback and ideas? Join our Facebook group, visit us on Instagram, or send an email to chip at homewhereyoubelong.com. We'll see you next time. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.